actually uh, wanted to do it for a really long time. We were very scared. And um, then we did it, and it actually is like it's almost easier. So we're preaching in a community this morning right. as we start off a new series, Community of Faith, Hope, and Love, which is a vision statement for our, our church. I think that's a great. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. All right. Uh, well, Holy Spirit, we do invite you once again. We just turn our attention to you, and we thank you for your presence among us, God. I just ask that as we look to the scriptures, Lord, that you would speak to us, and that somehow the words that Kara and I have for each other and for our community, that those those words would be full of your love and your truth and your instruction, and that if we say anything goofy or dumb, that uh, that that would just fall flat on the floor. But Lord, would you speak to us this morning? We just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And that air conditioner is having a having a power cycle. That's, that's yeah. Thing. I'm gonna. I tell you what. Um, why don't uh, Why don't uh, Do you want me to read scripture and you'll mess with the air conditioner? Yeah, go fix it for us. The Lord will speak to us through his word and through some climate control. So, um, let's talk about uh, Genesis. Let's just start. Oh, here we go. Okay, so this is in the very, very beginning, right? Like Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Um, This is God making humans. And here's what he says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we may rule, so that they, so they, humans, may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The Lord said, oh, yep, that's, so that's, did I miss one? Mm, I really thought we had included in this part that God said that it's not good for a man to be alone. Um, So that's also, that's also, there you go. Okay. I, okay, I'm not good at the clicking thing, clearly. Um, so God created mankind as an, in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. Okay, you really got to take over. We practiced him doing this okay. part. That's all right. Um, so there's this idea in the creation story of God doesn't just make one person. He makes two people. And actually, in order, in order for him to accurately represent his image, uh, two people are required to create a community. And this community that is better than the man being alone, so the, the man is made in the image of God, but like Eve is also made in the image of God. And there's this idea that it's really the union of these two and the family that they will birth and that they'll create in the world, that this people will represent God to the world. That's the picture that we see in creation. And with this Genesis mandate, God blesses them. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The idea here is not to exploit, but the idea is to cultivate, to develop, to cause to flourish. Uh, God said, God puts the man in the garden and says, guard it and keep it, right? Protect this thing that I've made. Help this thing that I've made flourish. Help this thing that I've made produce, right? And so God gives people uh, to the world as a gift, and this community is God's design. Now, of course, we know what happens next is that uh, they say, well, 
uh, we'd rather kind of just like do things on our own. And what happens to that community? The community falls apart. The community is totally destroyed. The community is totally ruined. But God, God doesn't stop there, right? God still has this dream of a community. And so God calls Abram. And he says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. He's calling him out of his family of origin and into God's family. He says, I will make you not into a great man, not into a conqueror of cities in the world, but I will make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then we see later on that from this family line, from the tribe of Israel, you know, the people of God, they, they, they spent some time in exile in, in Egypt, and then they spent some time in exile in Babylon, and there's this kind of nomadic group of people that's always kind of looking for a home, and for a while there's this, they have a, a kingdom, and so they, you know, so they kind of go through this journey of, of you know, preeminence and power as a, as a nation, they rise and fall, and all this, all this history over hundreds and thousands of years and then Jesus shows up. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus creates a community. He creates a group of people. He says Jesus calls 12 disciples, which is symbolic of the 12 brothers that were kind of descendants of Abraham, right? Like he's being very intentional there. He's saying we're a new Israel. We're a new community is what Jesus is saying. He says he calls his 12 disciples to him, and he, he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness, and these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, uh, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And with these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of the towns of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, in the other gospels, has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received freely give. And so God is restoring this plan of a community that represents him to the world when he is creating the church. When he is calling people into discipleship with him to follow him, it's it's a restoration of Eden, right? Because the way things work in Eden is God is in charge of everything, and as long as the people do what God says, there's harmony, there's beauty, there's community. There's connection and there's flourishing in that environment. And so when the call into discipleship is to come back to that, it's to come back to that garden relationship where we find real community, where we find real intimacy, where we can be open and vulnerable before each other without shame, without fear, without the consequences of sin. That's what happens to us when we come into Christ and into his community. That is what God is about in the world. Mm-hmm. And we see in this narrative from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see God drawing closer and closer and closer. Like initially he created Adam and Eve and they walked in the garden together every day. And then when they rebelled, when they fell, that put a great distance between humanity and God. 
And so then humanity had to start following some, they had, to, they had to perform some rituals, animal sacrifice, in order to demonstrate their sorrow and their repentance. And there were a lot of rules. And then we start to see things change a little bit. So if you go way back to the prophet Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet, he describes a, a metaphor about our relationship with God, which is God is the potter and we are the clay. We're an inanimate object and God is shaping us and molding us. And then he tells this funny joke, which nobody ever laughs at because nobody laughs at prophets' jokes because they think it's all serious. But it's really funny. He says, like, does the potter say, does the pottery say to the potter, I, look at what a terrible thing you made. I'm not happy with this. Although I do think that as a pot, I, I have sometimes been like, I don't know about the shape of this pot. <laughs> <laughs> so like it's just like you know we we have this way like like don't criticize god like you're made in this just a cute thing that jeremiah does but it's all this like potter and clay right so then we get a promotion jesus comes along and he uh he he starts talking about us a little more generously than his clay he talks about the sheep and the shepherd and I don't know a whole lot about animals. I'm not really like an outdoorsy kind of girl. But I understand that the sheep are kind of like dumb animals, you know. Like, it's not like dolphins and the, and the, and what, whoever leads the, the workers at water. I don't know. SeaWorld. Uh, sea yeah, that's what I'm like. It's not, it's not a dolphin marine biologist relationship. It's right. sheep and a shepherd. Right. But, we, but this is a little bit better, right? And then we see, um, later we see Jesus. He shares this parable about a father and his sons. And the prodigal son leaves and the prodigal son returns and the father celebrates. And you have a parent-child relationship describing our relationship with God. But then Jesus, he goes even one further than that. And he does this, if you'll click us into our next um, Bible passage. I'm going to let you click. And I'm going to read. Um, Jesus says this in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my father's this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus calls us friends. He chooses us for this relationship that happens among peers, which is nuts if you think about Jesus' place in the universe as Lord over all. But Jesus calls us friends. 
And this passage in particular, reading it and preparing for this sermon, I realized how many times I've heard this passage preached from maybe like a very American perspective or a very individualistic perspective. Every one of those yous I see as a you Kara individual. Yeah. But it's really more like unis. All y'all. All y'alls. Yous <laughs> guys. Yous guys. guys. So can you imagine like all y'all are called, all y'all are my friends, all y'all will bear fruit. We're branches, we're a part of the same plant. This is a thing that we do together, this is a thing that we do in community. It's so easy to take my Christianity, especially in this context, right? Like I'm kind of middle class American, Jesus my personal Lord and Savior, my individual actions matter. Those things are all true, I'm not saying those aren't true, but the design for the garden, the design for the church, what we're doing every week is we're coming together in community to be friends. And I think it's important to say that, you know, family is important, right? And family is a metaphor we can use here, right? And family is is sort of like a very strong metaphor and a design that that is in the, the biblical narrative, right? Like, I mean, like God's original plan is this family is going to represent him to a broken world and call and call everybody back. So in calling Abraham and Abraham's descendants, you know, God's like making this family. But then Jesus comes along, and Jesus has to be adopted, right, into a blended family. Probably most of us don't think of it that way. Probably most of us have, haven't heard nuclear family so radically emphasized because it, in many ways it feels like the nuclear family might be under attack in some, like, people feel that way. And so in order to support nuclear families, we've kind of maybe overemphasized that. I think that's fair. A little bit, right? But, but, the, but the church is supposed to be this chosen family. And I think that's a big deal. Like this, you didn't choose me, I, choo- I chose you. Like, I don't think that's Jesus saying, like, oh, you didn't make the right choice, but I came in and saved the day. Maybe. Maybe that's one way to see it. I think, I think but, it might be both Okay, both hands. So it is that. But also, but also, I think Jesus is saying like, hey, you didn't have to come get me. Like, you're not auditioning for me. I'm not making a selection from like a smorgasbord of humans and you have to like earn your way in here. Like, you don't have to fight for your place. I chose you. I chose you. I know you and I want you to be my friend and I want you to be in my community. Jesus is the one who initiates this relationship with us, which I think if I call back to my college days, like it's very important. Ladies, I like him, but only if he liked me first. Do you remember that? (laughs) Did you do that? That was me. That was like every single crush was like, I can't admit to a crush unless he's got a crush on me first. Not to make it weird with Jesus, but I think like, but that like that I chose you, like we're chosen, you know, Uh, I think it's so important. I think that's really important. And shoot, just this idea that, you know, Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say, I lay down my life for my wife. Jesus was unmarried. Uh, He doesn't say, I lay down my life for my kids. Jesus didn't have biological children. Uh, I lay down my, you know, no, greater love has no man than this, the one that would lay down his life for his friends. Like the value of friendship, the way that Jesus elevates friendship mm-hmm. and, the, and the importance of that is really radical. Yeah. And it's very countercultural. Uh, I think maybe particularly in some ways for men in our culture, mm-hmm. 
like, uh, you know, I think this church has something really special going on with the dudes. Um, but like most men, most men my age don't have friends. Like they just don't. Like they just don't have anybody that they could confide in. There's no emotional vulnerability or like trust. Yeah. Um, like, and people need friends. Like, we're, it's what we're designed for. We're designed for this community. We're designed for this intimacy. And th that is a really important need that every human has. And church is supposed to be a place where you can find and make friends that yeah. last over a lifetime. Yeah. Relationships. That's so true. You know, over Lent, we took a lot of time to talk about inviting people to come to church. And we talked to them, so let's fast from not inviting. Like, I'm going to invite. That's the thing I'm going to participate in over Lent. And I thought it was wonderful. I got a little bit braver. We had some great stories of people. God made it easy for them to invite, and I love that. I was talking to a friend of mine just this week, and he said something I just thought was so brilliant. He said, I've really shifted how I ask the question. I used to ask, do you have a church? Because I don't, you know, we don't want to, we're not trying to steal people from somebody else's church. We don't want to just reshuffle the deck. We want to preach the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. Um, but he said, instead of saying, do you have a church, which I think there is a lot of like, there's a lot of subtext in that, right? Like inviting people to church can turn into, in this capitalist place, it can turn into a business thing, right? Like grow our church, feed your pastor's ego. Let's bring in those tithes. You know, like there's some horrible, horrible things that can happen with inviting people to church. But so this friend of mine, he says, now he says, do you have a community? And I just like love that. Like I know oh, somebody just like, oh, like me too. Like, oh, like I just, it was like, I felt like at that question, do you have a community? It just lets me like relax in places that I didn't know were tense, you know, like, and it's this giving, caring question. Do you have a community? Do you have people who care about you? Do you have people to do life with? Do you have friends? Do you have people who will be there with you through the highs and the lows that they'll take? Yeah. Help, yeah. Take like, they'll take care of you, visit you in the hospital, go with you to your mother's funeral, you know, like celebrate when you get a raise, celebrate when your kids are awesome. I was having lunch with a friend a couple weeks ago and I, I said, I just love that I don't have to hold back on my braggy stories about my kids. Cause I think my kids are so awesome, but I don't want to make people sick of it. So like, cause they're that, that's how awesome they are. They're disgustingly awesome. <laughs> but, um, but, like, we need people to go through life with. And I just, oh, I thought that was so good. Do you have a community? And I think it helps us change that question of that invite from a, I'm trying to recruit you, I'm trying to use you, I want to add your resources, we are the Borg, and we have, right. what is it? We have added your technology to our... Assimilation plan. We have added your technology to our own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have added your, your biological and... Technological distinctiveness to our... Uh, we got it, the distinctiveness. Yeah, we got some Trekkies in the house. That's all right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not... But it's, it's not like some maniacal, twisted, you know, thing. Like, the, the church is not the board. Yeah. Like, the church needs to be a hospital and a, and a, and a resting place and, a, and, like, a relief. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, thank God I found a group of people who will put up with me. You know, like, thank and, God. And I, care I, for I, me and help me grow. That, that I can laugh with. That I can, like, you know, just be, just relax and know that they're going to stick around, mm -hmm. even if I'm a jerk sometimes. Yeah. Uh, 
You're going to you're going to tell an embarrassing story now. No, no, I want you to tell that story. So, uh, so you know, yes. in, in, uh, in college, I took a philosophy class. Some people have heard this story before, but I took a, a modern philosophy course, and the, the professor was this really intimidating guy. Like, he was, like, he was somehow related to Bertrand Russell, actually. He was, like, two degrees away from Bertrand Russell. I mean, like, serious philosopher dude at Missouri State, if you can believe it. I will say, every time you tell this story, the philosophy professor gets scarier. He gets scarier and scarier. <laughs> I had a friend who drew caricatures, and he drew the caricature of this guy as, like, a giant head <laughs> on this, like, thin little stick body. And it wasn't far from the truth. I mean, he's a really tall guy. He's bald. He's kind of imposing and very intelligent. So, it went, you know, we're, we're in this modern philosophy course, and, and I'm an A student. I don't know if you know that about me, Brad, but I'm, I'm an A student. And, uh, and so I want to get an A. I'm one, too. We slip that into every sermon. Yeah, it's true. So, uh, and, and uh, you know, he hands out the study guide, and it's like this really obscure question that I didn't know the answer to, and it was like one example, like he only gave one example question, and it was like really kind of like, I don't know if I'm, you know, and so I was like, hey, so, you know, I asked the question, I said, hey, um, you know, I just kind of want to know, like, what do we, what do we really want to focus on for the test, right? You know, because like there's this, you know, there's a lot of philosophy that we're reading for this course, and the study guide, I wasn't finding that particularly helpful in terms of, like, what I really needed to know, you know, to, to be able to succeed on the test. Like, so how, how, do we, how do we study for the test? And there's this, like, awkward silence after I ask my question. Like, he just kind of, like, looks at me. And, like, several seconds of silence. And it's like, oh, what have I done, you know? And, uh, and he said, he said, well, I'll try to muster this statement as much humility as I can, because he's, like, clearly annoyed with my question, right? Don't study for the test. Study so that you understand Descartes. And that's how you study for the test. Burn. It was like it was like one of the most like oh my gosh oh I just like so embarrassing for the classmates and all those things like wow man. But he's right, you know, like there's there you know when you study for things like when you want to get to know things like don't study for the test. Don't do it for appearances. Don't do it for achievement. Which brings us to our next very controversial slide. You have the clicker, though. Oh, Don't I, invite. Oh, do I, I that's not the one. Did you make the slide? <gasps> Josh was against this slide, and I was like, we can handle it. And then look, look how, look. So the slide was going to say, don't invite people to church. <gasps> invite, people. invite people into community. Don't study for the test. Yeah. Invite people into community. I recently binged out on um, the dropout which is a show on Hulu about Elizabeth Holmes, who started Theranos, which was supposed to be like a blood testing company, but it was all a scam, like she couldn't pull it off, except she didn't tell anybody she couldn't pull it off until like, you know, like she became a billionaire and people invested tons and tons and tons of money. And she like really scammed like a lot of people that you might think wouldn't get scammed. Um, Like secretaries of state prior, you know, like big deal people that you might think would know how to not get scammed. 
around. Anyway, very interesting show. Um, I can't recommend it as I can't recommend anything as a pastor because there are naughty words and naughty bits. So if you watch it, you know, you, you uh, use discretion. But here's the part that I really liked. Elizabeth Holmes is talking about the name of her company, Theranos. And she says it's the word therapy and the word diagnosis together. Because her original vision, and wouldn't this be great if it was possible, is you wear a patch on your arm, and it monitors your blood, and it can diagnose you if you have a problem, and deliver the medicine. So like, oh, you're vitamin D deficient, and then the patch just gives you vitamin D. Not possible, because having a patch that holds like all the medicine in the world isn't a thing, right? Monitoring your blood like that, those are complex tests, whatever. But I love that. They They could do it in Star Trek. It's true. It's true. O'Brien, totally. We're really in the Star Trek today. So, but therapy and diagnosis. And she said, when she says therapy, she doesn't mean therapy like talk about your feelings. She means like therapy, like chemotherapy, like a course of treatment. And I just think like, oh, see, okay, not the scam part and not the show with bad words, but this other part. Um, diagnosis and treatment, like, that's what we do in our community. You come here and you make friends and it starts with small talk. I'm a little more introverted. I hate small talk. I know we just have to do it. And then you build a little bit of trust and you get to know people and then you relax right in those unseen places. And sometimes wonderful things come out and the best of us is brought out, you know, and sometimes, Broken places are revealed, like hurting places, because I'm relaxed in my community and I snap at somebody or I lash out or I tell a joke that's not okay or I get asked to serve and I say no. Here's one, here's one that keeps happening. Um, people finally get comfortable in this church and then they start to think about the ways that they haven't been comfortable in churches in the past. And we try our best to absorb that pain. And that's, that's actually a good thing. Like, a lot of times the road to healing, it starts with a diagnosis. And then, if you stay, please stay, you, like, people keep loving you. People keep loving you when you lash out. People keep loving you when you can't serve for a while because you're, like, processing some stuff. People keep loving you when you irritate them or <laughs> when you act a little selfish or when you preach a bad sermon Not that I would know. Um, So I've heard. So I've heard. You know. (laughs) Yeah, that's sweet. Um, But um, that was my self-deprecating joke. That one was... But in community, we help each other. We, we, we help each other get diagnosed. We help each other get better. I will talk just a, I just have a teeny tiny rant about actual therapy with certified counselors. I love therapy. I think therapy is great. We've been to therapy. The same way that I'm totally comfortable saying there are good churches and bad churches. Some people get hurt in bad churches. That doesn't mean all church is bad. I feel like I want the right to say there are good therapists and bad therapists, and some of them are bad. You know, like just therapy in and of itself isn't necessarily a perfect thing. It's still people. And I think sometimes like, I don't know, this might be the thing that like ends the church because I said something mean about therapy. Yeah. But like, we still have to use our discernment in these things. You know, we've been to marriage counseling. Like we've really benefited from therapy. I'm so glad Mm -hmm. the therapy I've received. Mm -hmm. Like therapy can be really good and necessary and great. Here's the thing. Therapy isn't the gospel. Therapy's not the gospel. You you jumped to the deep point. I wanted to yeah. say first therapy's not free. You have to pay a person. Yeah, well, I mean, Church is free. Why. That's why, right? <laughs> and like, it's, it's not only, the gospel. It's only affordable to some. Yeah. 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 
Like, this is a place where you can come and you can just be yourself and you don't have to pay. And you're not going to have a one-sided relationship where you share all of your problems and somebody helps you. I love it if you can find a good therapist and you can do that. That's great. But in our community, what we're doing is we're being a healing community. And it's like in that song where we talk about forgiving God, forgiving us. In one sense, it's like the adjective, forgiving God. And then in another sense, it's the action. He is forgiving us. I want us to be a healing community where we are getting healed, like my wounds are closing up, and we're participating in God healing each other. I'm helping to heal. Your wounds are closing up. And that's why community is so important, to be a part of a healing community where, as humans, we can interact with each other in ways that are life-giving and nourishing and help us flourish, help us identify our problems and our weaknesses and our patterns that are self-destructive, and help us move past those and replace them with new and better habits and better ways of being so that we can be more free. And that's good news for everyone because everybody needs that. That is what the world needs. Everybody has hurt and pain and dysfunction and lack of maturity and all kinds of other things because everybody's had some kind of trauma. Everybody's had some kind of thing that has hurt them in the past. And the work of Jesus in the work that in the world that we get to participate in is healing that brokenness. It is nothing less than that. That's what churches do. That's why church exists in order to heal the broken world. That's what Jesus came to start and found. That's what he did. That's what he is doing in the world. And so when we participate in the life of this healing community, we're not just going to hang out with friends. Though that's really important, and that actually is like one I like of that part. Yeah. that we receive healing, right? We're not just kind of like having this like... You know, we're not networking. We're not networking, <laughs> right? We're, we're getting well, and we're sharing what we've learned and what we've received from God with other people. That's what Christian community, a community of faith, hope, and love can do and can be. And we're not just called to do that with each other, but we're called to bring that with us wherever we go and to go out and to drive demons out of people and to heal the sick and raise the dead and do all the work that Jesus taught his disciples how to do and that we're trying to learn how to do here even now. That's what we're about. So would you stand? We're going to do this right now, this community thing. So often we'll say, you know, this was all just pregame. The main event is what we do next, and that's the time that we take to pray for one another. There are a lot of ways to get prayer. You can come up to the front, and that will just signal our prayer team, who's been trained to not be too weird, to come up. They'll introduce themselves. They'll ask if they can put your hand, their hand on your shoulder. They'll ask you what's wrong, and here's the best part. You can share as much or as little as you want, and then the person praying does all the work. They take your needs in, into the presence of God, and they ask for help on your behalf. Another thing that we can do